from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via the paid subscription of Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University. This is Tackling the Chicane. So we got a little uh, Fox on the Run, which was inspired by my drive home from a networking event about 15 minutes ago. Uh, just happened to come on the old Redidio. <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, British uh, glam rock band Sweet first recorded in 1974 but then picked up by Capitol Records and charted in 1975. Spent six weeks on number one in Australia. (laughs) I remember this song back in college. It was unearthed by my good friend Scott Thayer, who has a way of digging up strange but decently good songs. (laughs) Um, But of note, uh, this song was included in the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which propelled it to uh, iTunes Rock Chart in 2016, number two song. Wow. So there you go. Give it a listen. And there are a couple (laughs) other gems I unearthed uh, that will come in future episodes. Uh, Sweet. So, listeners of the podcast spotify that sweet uh fox on the run a song i also like to spin in my my free time uh sweet also gave us if i'm not mistaken are, are they behind ballroom blitz as well ah that's good a question. sort of a if, in my opinion sort of a yes but this song is better uh okay so and i i was i have a note here Sweet Fox on the Run is spelled S-W-E-E-T. Sweet Ballroom Blitz is spelled S-U-I-T-E, like sweet as in hotel room. Yeah. So two different bands there. But yes. Yes. And that will be that will probably be on a future uh intro as well. But yeah. So there there's your uh nugget of musical knowledge there are two suites one suite and one suite yeah okay well the more you know that's right (laughs) that's right all right well since uh it's been longer than normal from the last recording uh i think it's important we sort of give listeners the uh the rundown and the layout here of this show. So there's been two races in the Formula One season um, since the last time we recorded. So the F1 session of this podcast is going to be 
um, sort of um, a combination of the Dutch GP and the Italian GP in Monza. Um, maybe a, a bit more time spent on the, the former one, uh, just because did offer quite a bit of uh, entertainment, which I think you will definitely uh, vouch for. Um, so we'll spend most of our time uh, talking about those two races. And then over on the soccer side of things, uh, going to be a bit more uh, loose and free form. Uh, did want to acknowledge and give thoughts about the, uh, the old firm match between Celtic and Rangers that occurred on Sunday, uh, the past Sunday when, as of recording, um, and then I kind of just wanted to do more of a overview of, of Brighton in the Premier League, um, with, uh, a feature of one of their matches. So we'll get into that later, but for now, uh, why don't we bring it over to the Dutch GP? Yeah, so I have to go back in time a bit here for this one. Um, overall, I would say, as you and I had discussed, uh, potentially the second most entertaining race after uh, Silverstone. Mostly weather-related, but we will take whatever variable makes the GP interesting to watch. And in this case, it was rain. And we can't forget that with weather comes tire strategy. Um, and we saw, I saw that in the opening of this race where, you know, these guys were on slicks to start, uh, rain comes. And then the big question is, is when do we pit? And, you know, obviously we're going to go to the green, the inter or interval tire, um, which has a lot less um, wearability, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but they don't, they just go off quick. So they're, they're hesitant to grab the inters, but it was necessary when it was raining <laughs> as hard as it was. And that always throws a big wrench into position and strategy and it doesn't really matter it takes what weather does and rain does is it takes the advantage uh out a bit of okay so it's not all about arrow and downforce and uh you know who has the best power unit rain is the is the great equalizer mm -hmm. you know so uh Magnuson had a pit start. I'm not sure why. I think it was probably a rule deal where they had a part change or something. Yeah. Um, so goes Haas. I mean, <laughs> I was even at the Monza race this past weekend. It, it's really, I don't know if the word disgusting is right. It's probably more, I'm just disappointed that every fucking race these guys end up in the 17th or 16th position mm -hmm. or just out of the points and it's like i i just can't figure out other than money and that's probably what it all comes down to because i know they're making a great effort and i love gunther steiner as a team principal i don't think there's a better fit there they've got some talent behind the wheel but they just can't get the car they're kind of like uh, the Aston or Alpine of five years ago, maybe. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. The I would even say just the Aston Martin of last year, where they the driver talent was there. I mean, Lance Stroll will take what you will from him, but Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion. Of course, Haas doesn't have that, but you know, the car that they developed was so much worse compared to the talent that they have what well, i mean let's sure um you know are kevin magnuson and nico hulkenberg gonna go down as all-time greats no but the these are well-established f1 veterans at this point that really can't seem to get much out of that car 
regardless of the strategy, which is, it, it, I think it does, at least you kind of know what the problem is, where some teams on the grid, maybe not so much. I, that's the only solace you can kind of take from that. I suppose, and it, it keeps me interested in a couple of different ways. One being, how can a team or several teams have that much advantage technology-wise over another? And then the other thing that keeps me kind of in the interest is next year could be a breakout year. And I mean, I went, I'm in the midst of watching the last season five of uh, Drive to Survive, and I f- had forgotten that Haas made a little bit of a splash early last year, and people yeah. were were really sitting up and taking notice and going, okay, th- this th- is this a contention team? So it could happen. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I would love to see an unseating of even the top three or four teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that remains to be, it's all about, you know, how, how many hundreds of millions of dollars can you get to d- develop your car? And, you know, they had, a, they had a little bit of a crutch to come back from last year because Schumacher broke. Like four fucking cars. Yeah. I mean, when I say broke, I don't mean bump the tire barrier. I mean split them in half. Yeah, I, I, so I specifically remember uh, Monaco last year where he actually split the car in half. Um, every incident that he had was a minimum payout for Haas of seven fifty to one million dollars to fix. Yeah. Which I honestly, for no team, is a just drops in the bucket. But for Haas, I mean, that's that is significant money that they're dishing out that they would rather put to uh, better use. Um, going back to the race here in the Dutch GP, I want to just bring this up. Um, I obviously Max Verstappen is the best driver. <laughs> by a distance at the moment, but could we just give a shout out to the Red Bull strategy team? Because do you recall in this race or all season where he's been on the wrong strategy in a race? No. And that's, that's what people should be paying attention to is there are no mistakes. Every pit is within the window of 2.5 to 2.7 seconds. You don't see tire issues or gun issues or you don't see penalties. You don't see speeding in the pit lane. You don't see, you might see a, a, a flag or two here and there, depending on the race mm-hmm. for um, course limits, but they, they know they have five shots at that. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I even if you can't stand it, <laughs> and I think that's kind of the camaraderie of F one is everyone hates a winner, yeah, um, and that's for most motorsport. But you cannot take away from the fact that they are dialed in on most aspects of what it takes to win the most challenging race series because of the rules equipment and budget makes f1 the most challenging race series to be competitive in yeah period sure i'm not taking anything away from indycar and nascar i'd love to watch both of them but let's face it uh it's a much much more level playing field in both of those series Mm mm-hmm um, so yeah, I, they deserve it. Okay. So if they win the next five championships or whatever, so be it. I, I'm a little bit, as we, 
as we talked on the last podcast, just give me one, just give me one GP where somebody, because of some weird freakish, I don't even care if it's some freakish lightning bolt thing, just let <laughs> someone else win, please. Yeah. <laughs> it would make me feel a lot better about sitting down every Sunday for two hours and yeah. not I mean, watching drive off 12 an- seconds. Anecdotally speaking, I mean, yeah, I would say your, uh, your attitude towards Monzo is probably the lowest I've seen in a while in terms of going to sit down and watch a race just because, you know, I, I think we all knew deep down who was winning that one. Um, so I, I tend to agree. It's just, uh, I, I appreciate the dominance and I respect the dominance. It would just be nice as a sort of a more neutral fan just to see someone else. Um, another thing, just sticking on the Red Bull topic here, um, from this, uh, GP, um, the team actually decides to undercut Perez, uh, in this one with the, with the pitch strategy. So Perez always seems to get <laughs> left out, uh, uh, sort of hung out to dry. Um, and even when um, they're racing on the same strategy before the pit, in air quotes there with the same strategy, oh. but Verstappen's lap times are way faster. Correct. And that's the the quite blatant and obvious it it's it's very obvious that these te- it doesn't matter what team it is there's always a favorite driver for the you know each of the teams and they're favored and that's kind of fun to watch because the second guy always gets pissed he thinks he's faster he thinks he got fucked, and in some place, and in some cases, indeed. But they're always going to protect the the silver guy, right? The the galvanized guy that who's going to go through, and they're not going to listen. Do you? Th- if you think for one second, as great of a driver as Perez is, qualifier, okay, uh, traffic guy, driver in traffic, he's a pretty good traffic driver too. Do you think that for one second, and that that has to f- kind of screw with the mind of the the guy who's number two? Listen, they're going mm-hmm. for every fast lap, they're going for every pole, they're going for every win, they're going for the constructors. They want to they want to dominate. Yeah. To what degree does that? Well, all you need to do is is see folks around F1 and I'm not naming names or anything, but listen, I have, I have some loyalty to Haas. I've been flying a flag for two months. I'll always root for the U S backed team Mm. just because, but the fact of the matter is, is even though they're not, consistently winning gps ferrari sells the most hats t-shirts and shoes right and yeah maybe not as much as red bull now because i mean people who don't even don't even give a shit are wearing red bull stuff no but actually that is an interesting point and of course this isn't amazingly scientific but think about when they show crowds at races um the only time it's not dominated by red bull fans is usually silverstone which is lewis yeah or orlando maybe um and the italian gps which is the tifosi the ferrari fans and then spain maybe or france there's like four races in the whole calendar where it's not droves of the orange for max verstappen you don't see blankets of uh alpine no not really i mean you really gotta look unless it's maybe the french gp or something but right no i don't disagree with that that has a lot to do with guess guess what 
the more shoes, hats, shirts, uh, and so on that you sell, it sounds ridiculous, but merch is a huge piece of the, of funding these teams. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're all getting a cut. Yeah. And that's what I, I also find interesting that if you try to, if you try to search like a Haas, anything, you have eight choices. Yeah. And they all stink (laughs) comparably. Right. Mm -hmm. I've tried to buy Haas gear. It's like, I don't, First of all, I don't, if I'm going to spend $100, it should be a decent-looking thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it be a team shirt or whatever. But we know Red Bull is a 800-pound gorilla in all sports right now. I'm yeah. surprised they have, and this is a tangent, but I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised that they haven't penetrated like NBA, NFL, and MLB. Yeah, that is interesting. I I don't know how far away they are from doing that. Actually, um, I don't Unless know. Unless they're, I I think maybe it's more of philosophy of uh, extreme. Yeah, I mean we yeah okay. we've de- we talked about that before. Even with you know their their soccer empire of sorts, or they have six seven clubs around the world, and they all play this heavy metal style of football that's really entertaining. I mean, that's kind of, there is a philosophy definitely amongst the whole brand. Um, but yeah, it, maybe so, they will. I'm trying to, up. I have a lot of notes. It, it It's kind of too far off of the race to, to get into a lot of the stuff that I have here talking about, but basically, you know, weather played everything into this gp um lap 56 there was there was weather coming um perez of note did have a 10.6 second stop and i think it was a a wheel issue Uh, that doesn't help um then Perez goes off course, lap 63, in, in heavy, heavy rain. And honestly, before they red flagged this, they ran around for a lap or two where there was no reason, no reason for the cars to be on track. It was that, yeah. it was, it was that uh, intense as far as the weather goes. Um, of note, though, I mean, who, who keeps hanging around? Alonzo hanging around Fernando Alonzo he's he's unshaken by by rain by hail by (laughs) this is a guy that I desperately either want to see in a better iteration of Aston Martin with what I'm basically trying to say is a better teammate or in a Red Bull or a Ferrari or Mercedes (laughs) Because I think this guy could still win a driver's championship. I don't disagree. It just, you know, this is also a marketing campaign. So is he flashy enough to go to a team that has the best car? The Europeans are, are, fascinated by the fact that he's 40 something years old yeah they act like he's 90 Mm -hmm. you know it's always old man this and (laughs) it's like jesus christ man the guy's 40 big deal you know (laughs) yeah i mean lewis is right there too well yeah yeah i Fernando Alonso, uh, I think, has been the biggest breath of fresh air for this season that ultimately has, I would say, severely under uh, under uh, delivered in terms of the excitement. Um, although maybe rain aided, I mean, there was a point where I think he did have Max Verstappen on his toes a little bit, you know, with yeah. um, he was right on him at one point. Uh, Verstappen ends up winning by 3.7 seconds, which might as well be by uh, uh, 10 feet by his standards. But um, I, yeah, I do like 
uh, seeing Alonso on the podium. And also, uh, this was sort of random, but Pierre Gasly on the podium for the Dutch GP as well. It's so weird because it feels like Alpine is like uh, double DNF or near or on the podium this season. So boomer right. bust. So Perez's five second penalty for pit lane speed puts Gasly on the podium. Mm-hmm. And that has to be bittersweet for, I mean, these guys will take the podium however they can get it and sure. penalties are part of racing um, and I get that but there's so many other series where position is everything and you don't have these kind of silly <laughs> these silly penalizing of this or that I mean the, uh, NASCAR has pit lane speed but it's you have to come back in drive through and yeah. pit right yeah, it's just a drive-through or a stop. That's how they do that. Well, they don't always do it in F1. If it's in the middle of a race, you can serve the penalty through a pit. Yeah. But you don't, if it gets close to the end, they just tack the time on. Yeah. yeah. NASCAR, you have to come in, stop for five seconds, and then go back out. Yeah, that's pretty much the only thing NASCAR governs uh, is pit violations of of some sort, basically gaining some sort of timing advantage. Uh, again, a bit of a tangent, but I was watching uh, Darlington, the first playoff race on Sunday, and Daniel Suarez was trying to make a pass on Alex Bowman. And uh, Bowman is swerving this way and that, making sure he doesn't get passed, and they have both eventually spin out. And, of course, Suarez... Um, rightfully pissed off at the end. Uh, but I, I texted a uh, group chat of friends, and I'm like, you know, maybe a- am I kind of, am I a sort of racing Karen here by saying that there should be a penalty for Bowman for swerving all over the track, or am I just a snooty F1 fan? <laughs> no, it's just, it's a different... Um it's a different series. And I mean, as relegated as NASCAR has become in this 21st century, is that right? 21st century. Um, you know, back in the fifties and sixties and seventies, that's where those kind of law rules of law were laid down where, you know, this is a GD racetrack, and if I yeah. want to block your ass, then I'm going to block your ass. It's just I love the difference between NASCAR and F1 or whatever series, but F1 is like on one end of a extreme. It is. Where it's you, like, you can't compare. Yeah. No, yeah. It's just funny because how many times do we see a driver make just even a, a – a hint of defending and the guy who's trying to pass him radios, he's, he's moving all over the place or he's moving while breaking. It's like, okay. yeah. yeah. Have a look at that. He, yeah. he actually tried to pass me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the beauty of, of tears of racing and, um, you just kind of have to put your head in the right space. So for you guys out there listening that are NASCAR fans or you guy, I don't, I don't know at this point, (laughs) Um, but just appreciate the series for what it is and, and the rules as they are. Um, And you could say that for, for, for any form of racing, really. I mean, if you go down to sprint cars and, and modifieds and dirt track and everything is different. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all kind of the same premise, right? Yeah. Have the best equipment yeah, with the best driver or mediocre equipment with a really good driver, Yeah, you know, and And the dough luck. Yeah. I mean, F1 is less, I think F1 is less luck. 
Yeah, that, I've explained it in that way to to friends, where I'm like, uh, th- there is basically no luck in F1, other than if feel like it. Yeah, unless there is a catastrophic wreck, which doesn't really happen that much. I mean, the best teams are going to be winning the race <laughs> more often same, than not. At the same time, though. Turn one is turn one. Turn so one is where you get them. Yeah. Come into play there, or uh, I don't know. I mean, feel like it. No, in F one, I don't know if it's like a confirmation bias thing, but it does feel like the the worst teams are always the ones that end up getting beat up after turn one. But I think that also yeah. has to do just with starting position and whatnot. But yeah. But as for the Dutch GP, I don't know if you have anything else to say on it, or if we can. We're gonna kind of segue here into the into Monza, and just obviously Max Verstappen record-breaking ten wins in a row. And you know maybe we're not the the most hog wild for Verstappen on this particular program, but I think it's still important to kind of take some time to really comprehend what that means because we literally witnessed the most dominant portion of an F1 season ever just now, which I think is very important to take away. And, and you know, in 10, 15 years time when Verstappen is done, maybe that's when you kind of look and go, wow, we actually you know, witnessed that. Got to see it. And I I don't have it pulled up and I'm, I apologize, but who had been nine wins in a row? It was, was Seb- Seba- uh, Sebastian Vettel with Red oh, Bull. Vettel. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess if we can take anything away from this, uh, we can wax poetic and 25 years when we're talking to our grandkid and say I remember when Max Verstappen won every goddamn race <laughs> yeah one year. I, I actually just sort of tangentially here how much longer do you think it goes do you think he can do it for the rest of the season oh I, I don't have any doubt that he can and maybe next year. The question is, is how long will it be until somebody creates the antidote? Yeah. And, and what will that look like? Now, if I had to, to, if I had a crystal ball, I think, uh, the rule change in 2026 and the advent of, um, some new constructors, might throw a little wrench in the works because if you don't think that these guys are in a lab somewhere already building cars and testing cars to try to kick this guy's ass, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because Audi's doing that right now. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. And what this all comes down to is simulation. Okay. Wind tunnel testing. And how do we get faster Mm -hmm. with a, a P a power unit that works. Yeah. That's yeah, the big that's thing. thing. Sure. Reliability. I don't know. It kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, uh, I'm not big into these superhero movies or whatever, but there's always the, the big enemy <laughs> working, Wars, right. Yeah. Who who conquers everything and must be unseated? So he he'll be unseated at some point. How long mm-hmm. will it take? I don't know. I mean, Christ <laughs> for Hamilton it was seven years. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know where it ends either. Um, but I think it's you know we should at least mention the dominance and doesn't make for super entertaining racing but it is something that needs to be addressed what was entertaining for 15 or so laps of this monza gp carlos freaking signs i mean he almost made a fan out of me right there 
this is the ballsiest anyone has ever been around Verstappen this season. Yeah, lots of defense, um, just hard driving, and again, I quite my I would pose this question to you: Any other driver in Verstappen's position would have been in the wall. Yeah, um, um, because minus most people don't look for that kind of yeah that kind of defense, and there's usually contact, and for him to be able to lay back just enough, but, you know, attack enough. And I'm not trying to take anything away from science. I mean, clearly, you know, these are the 20 most talented drivers, at least in this series that mm-hmm. people will say in the world, that's questionable. Although I doubt you could pull anyone out of any other series to come up to F1. And I've seen guys go to Indy. I think I know a guy, but maybe that's for a different discussion. Uh, okay. That Alex Pillow. Okay. Potentially. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. Um, I've seen guys from F1 go to Indy to the 500 and they, they piss their pants. Fernando Alonso. Well, it's just so different. I mean, yeah. it's not the same thing. Christ. They don't care at Indy if you put a wheel into somebody and you go into the into turn one, you know, at that speed, right? Yeah. No, I understand. Uh, but going, I just, it felt like the first time this season somebody could be asked to defend. You know what I mean? Like, Signs actually made defensive moves against Verstappen, which I don't remember happening any other time this season. And yeah, it was you could ballsy. Yeah, you could start to see a little bit of agitation kind of growing. Remember the first time where that might have been where they almost collided. The one that was like, "Oh God, that was close," and Verstappen on the radio, pretty much laughing because this is the first time he had to ever do anything this season said "Ooh, that was naughty i was happy to hear that radio call versus the crybaby call yeah um but that also told me in that instance that he was fucking around yeah you know he he basically knew that we're going to run a certain number of laps behind science we're going to let science tear up his tires we're gonna let him she did. You know, think that he can defend us he knew that he could just go to strat five and <laughs> see you later yep and then because what always happens is Verstappen even if it takes a little bit gets around you and see you later right I mean you're so done you're done instantly there was a lot of that going on and that's fine too I would rather see seven laps of that as a fan going, Oh my God, he has a shot. And rather than him bolt away in lap three and then just fucking take off. Yeah. Give me a little something for my, my dollars here. Yeah. My effort. For sure. Um, obviously this race won by Max Verstappen, but I think it's fair to say the Ferraris kind of stole the show. Um, because after signs gets past, he then, obviously, the, the race with Red Bull is run, so Perez finishes second. Um, but Sainz and Leclerc were going at each other's throat for the rest of the race. Yeah, and I think, I don't want to say scripted, but they were in, in at Monza in Italy. And well done, F1, if that was your your charge here because it really did, you know, obviously it brought the fans in close. If you were at that race, you would want to see your two teams scrapping around. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe it wasn't, it, maybe it was just the way it played out, but um, yeah, most entertaining. Let's, I mean, let's face it. I would love to watch, a race like the Dutch GP and Monza way better than 
you know, one where it's just a fucking basket case. Yeah. So maybe they're getting that and they're trying to inject a little bit of competition behind the uh, three, four, uh, two, two, three position. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I know F1 has an ear to the community and the community has basically said, we already know what's going to happen. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't want that kind of attitude because then a people go cut grass <laughs> instead of watch, watch the race. Right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but sort of business as usual at the top, uh, a couple interesting performances, seventh place, Alex Albon and the Williams seems like he's, kind of really getting great performance out of that car, which is nice to see. Um, f- unfortunately, Logan Sargent has a penalty at the end for causing a collision with Botas, which we luckily kind of, oh, I at least kind of caught it on the driver cam because I saw he was near the points for the first time in a very long time, and he seemed to kind of smash into Botas at the end, but finishes 13th, uh, not ideal but a better performance out of him also we haven't mentioned but um the the reserve to the reserve driver liam lawson of alfatari finishes 11th in this one filling in for the injured daniel ricardo so uh i mean second formula one race ever p11 certainly not anything to to sneeze at especially in what is basically the worst car on the grid um, so, uh, and I guess Valtteri Boltas himself finally back in the points with the Alfa Romeo, which is also not a very good car. So, right. But they managed to grub a few points here and there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, my screen is kind of effed up here, but what do we have? We have a week off, correct? Yeah. So the next race is Singapore, and that would be the 17th of September. So there's a week off okay. as well. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll we'll talk. Let's see. We're the 7th today? Yeah. 8th? 7th. So we'll have one more show, and then I will be in Florida on the Thursday after that now. I haven't quite decided whether or not we're going to do some kind of a potential remote broadcast from there. Uh, I need to get the uh, lay of the land first, but potentially a, a special guest on the uh, live from Fort Lauderdale show. I'm not sure. I I think I just need my laptop and, you know, the soundboard is is convenient here, but I think we can probably accomplish the same thing just through Zencaster with headphones. I would yeah. think, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Yeah. So that'll be kind of coming up on to the next one. Um, just briefly want to touch on, uh, some standings, nothing new at the top. Um, Ferrari had a better day than Mercedes. So the gap to second, is down to 45 points. Uh, Aston Martin firmly in third place, only 11 points off of Ferrari there in fourth. McLaren sitting at 115 in um, fifth. Um, Williams kind of separating from the the back markers, but definitely not anywhere near Alpine. You would probably back them to finish seventh. Uh, Haas seemed to be more in a scrap with Alfa Romeo and Alphatari than anything, sadly. Uh, looking at drivers, I mean, again, top two. No, <laughs> we know who they are. Fernando yeah, Alonso, go ahead. So the only hope is that Haas doesn't get sucked up by Alfa Romeo. It's only one point. We have a few races left to go. They're never. They're not going to surmount the. 10 point constructor gap i don't think to williams i think really what we should focus on here is the aston martin uh ferrari battle potentially 
um, to see what happens. And if, if Aston Martin uh, outperforms them, it's, it's not 11 points isn't insurmountable at this point, but we'll see with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Drivers, we all know what's going to happen here, I think. Um, <clears throat> let me just go to that real quick. I don't know if we have any real close. Uh, signs and Leclerc's and George Russell, uh, uh, those three are separated by eight points, so that's probably yeah. where you're going to so, get. Five, six, seven. Yeah. The rest of them are pretty far apart, it looks like. Looks like Ocon and Piastri are actually tied on 36 points, so uh, okay. that is for 11th and 12th, but yeah, still. We'll see what happens there, too, I guess. Pretty much business as usual <laughs> in the yep. standings. So Singapore uh, is the next race. That's actually two weeks from now if i'm not mistaken well a week i guess but uh no race this weekend i think we'll have another show before that yeah all right so we will leave f1 at that just want to briefly touch on a little bit of soccer here uh sort of i'm gonna let you transition i'm gonna step away for 25 seconds i'll be right back (laughs) okay do your thing yeah i'll go ahead and get the uh the transition here so um, kind of looking at some stuff from more of a, a thousand foot view or whatever bird's eye view. Um, some sort of interesting uh, results in the Premier League last time out. Uh, Crystal Palace took on Wolves, defeated them three two. Liverpool demolished Aston Villa three nil. Arsenal stole, uh, well, maybe not stole, but. Uh, defeated Man United with two stoppage time goals to make that a 3-1 final there. Uh, And then also in the Premier League, some interesting results. Uh, Brighton uh, defeated Newcastle United 3-1, a big hat-trick out of Evan Ferguson, the young Irish striker, um, quickly becoming one of the most talked about uh, players in the Premier League. He is just 18 years old, his first ever Premier League hat-trick, and Brighton flying right now uh, on nine points after four matches. Um, Man City lead the way in the Premier League after four matches with 12 points. They are undefeated in league play. Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham Hotspur sit uh, joint second. So there's actually four teams on uh, 10 points there. Tottenham in second, uh, along with Liverpool, West Ham, and Arsenal, all on 10 points. Um, So should be really interesting between um, those two teams and sort of I think it's going to be a situation where we get the uh, Man City kind of Maybe not waltzing to the title, but you know, probably winning it, and then seeing a, a sort of best of the rest situation in the Premier League. But as for this podcast, I would say the uh, the big headline from the past weekend uh, was in Glasgow at Ibrox Stadium, where fair to say a not full strength Celtic squad. Uh, pretty much stole a victory at Ibrox. Well, maybe that's not fair either, but uh, basically one when many fans would probably not have backed them to win that one. I know we watched this one live, and Lazily did not take notes. It was 7 a.m. for Pete's sake. Sometimes I just like to watch soccer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I... I was, I wasn't surprised at the outcome. I was a bit nervous, thinking that maybe this might be a draw. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like Rangers were ever going to maybe come out on top. I don't know if you had that same feeling, or you thought maybe they threatened at some point. So, uh, within forty-three seconds, the ball was in the back of the Celtic net, uh, but it was ruled offside. But still, I was like, oh, shit. So um, our back line, Celtics back line, uh, Greg Taylor, 
Liam Scales, who is probably sixth string. <laughs> uh, so basically there's a massive injury crisis in the center back position for Celtic at the moment. Um, so Liam Scales answering the call. Um, and uh, Gustav Lagerbielk, who we'll kind of get into later because he had a total bomb scare there. Uh, and then Alistair Johnston, who is probably our first choice right back. But with that particular back line, uh, I, I will say it didn't instill uh, a ton of confidence into me going into this one, especially at Ibrox. Um, yeah, I, I do get what you say because once Celtic kind of settled into the match, let's say 15, 20 minutes in, I you can't really point to a time when Rangers threatened all that much. No, I, if I recall though, there were a lot of chances for Celtic. Yeah. I think we, we talked about how this could have been a four nil game, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I don't recall every single play, but there was a lot of shots taken. Um, maybe some minor missed opportunities. There uh, was like crosses there was, and whatnot. Yeah, there was one with O who was subbed on where he gets a ball crossing into him with a lot of space, and he probably could have just smashed it home or Is that at, the back heel. Yeah, where he tries to like kind of redirect it to a, uh, a winger running onto it, and it just misses yeah, completely. Fucking shot. Yeah, that was that was one where it's like uh, you really could have done a lot better. There was probably two or three of those instances in the match where it's just like we uh, we should be scoring, but um, yeah, getting to the part where <laughs> Lagerbielk, uh basically super sluggish on the ball, right, and is kind of just dicking around with it. Of course, probably not many passing options available for him. And uh, I believe it was Kamar Roof comes up, swipes the ball from him. Lagerbiel kind of does the thing where he just kind of falls to the floor. Um, right. And Kamar Roof fucking smashes it home. And you're like, well, that was the worst fucking play I think I've seen ever. <laughs> um, and we're like, oh, okay, one nil down. Um Rangers suddenly with all the momentum and Lagerbielk with the terrible, terrible giveaway. And then our old friend VAR comes to town. Well, and I think this is one of the rare opportunities in soccer where um, that was a good luck Chuck play for Celtic. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I didn't see a, a egregious foul. I did see some contact to the shin. There was contact area. where basically what what got Roof in trouble was he didn't make any play on the ball. So he puts his foot in, in front of Lagerbielk's foot, and Lagerbielk falls. Um, and sure, it's not it's very, very soft, but if you look, you know, if you're going textbook rules of the game you can't do that you can't inhibit a player from running onto the ball um so i that like you said is more of a thank god that var was there and uh kind of took it off because obviously the first initial call was that that was not a foul and it that would have been just one nil to Rangers even just a year ago in Scotland. So very, very yeah. lucky there. And then what also was weird was I told you that the, the ref like signaled super weird. So usually what ends up happening, right? The ref will go over to the screen. If it's a goal situation, look at it. And then, okay, he'll come back onto the pitch. If it's a no goal, he'll kind of hold his hand up and then like point, uh, for a, a goal kick or whatever, free kick. He does this thing where he, he points, which usually means goal. He just points, and then he kind of does that, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And all of Ibrox celebrates like he ruled it that the goal stands. It was good. Yeah. So I'm like, 
what the fuck? And then more well, and more. Again, not to interrupt, but uh, no problem. Can we get a mic? Yeah, that's that we exactly. Need a damn microphone on the referee because I know basic football refereeing motions. Yeah. Right. Because I've been watching it since I was six years old. I don't under none of what they motion makes any sense to me. Yeah. So I know VAR is a square. Yeah, the box, the screen. <laughs> Other than that, the calls I have no idea. It's 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 very um, obtuse. <laughs> the hand motions are very obtuse. I never know what's happening. Um, but yes, uh, I remember as as we watched, you thought that he called it a goal. Yeah. And so did the rest of the, the crowd there, and then apparently it wasn't. So obviously, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was just so weird to me. Um, yeah, it should hand in the air and then point for a, a goal kick or free kick. Is there a chart? A chart? There's, there's been an NFL chart since I was eight years old that has all of the... Oh, like the signals. Yeah, but (laughs) this is this is even simpler than that because if it was goalie, point to the goal. Like that is a goal, and instead he points, and then he's doing all this other shit, and it's like what the fuck? Fifty thousand people just celebrated a goal that you just ruled off, so something didn't happen correctly there. then, Then they all left. And then they all left. So we should probably talk about the goal, which um, I was ceremoniously uh, on the shitter for, uh, <laughs> fired up the, the phone. And I was like, He's... I was just thinking before, like, oh, I, got, I need to make it to halftime because I might miss it. But I went and, you know, out of nowhere, basically, Kyogo, it, a, a ball is put onto him from uh, a header. And it just falls to his feet, and he just beats the shit. He just beats the piss out of the ball. And it's 1-0, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, it was like just a thunder strike. Like, it, Kyogo is just, I would say, two to three levels above anyone else in Scotland right now. It was what I call a ripper. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's really no defense uh rocket and god help us as celtic fans if if for some reason you know he gets traded away or or whatever they call it in this league but um we have a we have a few a few guys that are kind of my anchors he's one uh carter vickers is another, and then I love Joe Hart. Yeah, who had a fantastic game. Yes, and we can't, you can never take away the fact that uh, a keeper controls the game Mm -hmm. at some point, right? At a certain Um, degree, I would say, yeah. I just, I don't know. That's, that's, kind of what what i've taken away from being a celtic fan is you know choose the guys that you like to watch i like to watch Hart. i like to uh, watch carter vickers kyogo uh maeda they're all they're all great to watch they just i think under this new leadership they seem to be a little bit i don't want to say off kilter but not the same team as they were under Ange. Yeah, no, I agree. I I hope this is a turning point, but I still wasn't like amazed by the performance. Now, look, anytime you can go to Ibrox and win, that's fine with me. But it's still leaving a lot to be desired. And I think it's what what's weird is we're in a position where both sides of the rivalry aren't firing on all cylinders i think it's fair to it's obviously fair to say about rangers who have now two losses in two in four league matches so they're on six points um 
which is not a good standard for them, obviously. Um, Celtic, of course, lost to Kilmarnock in the League Cup and then drew against St. Johnston at home before this. Um, yeah, I, I still I question why David Turnbull is starting. Um, I don't know how much he really offers. I think he kind of just slows the game down. Where like last year under Ange, it was, you know, 100 miles an hour and we had the, the players to do it. Where, I don't know, it seems like they're having a hard time sort of taking to this system. But I will say it was a, a good approach by Brendan Rodgers because, you know, he knew there were some deficiencies in this starting lineup and he didn't set up in a way that was going to allow for... Uh, those deficiencies to be exploited, which is always good. Um, and I think it was a very smart game plan. And they kept the clean sheet, so God bless them there. Um, but I think we are looking at a season of transition for Celtic and a, just a season of just... I, I think Michael Beal, the manager for Rangers, his days are numbered. <laughs> And I think it might be less, I think it's single digits at this point. Uh, there is the international break this weekend, um, so there won't be any league stuff going on. But if we're looking at, if if Michael Beal drops points again in the league uh, over the next two to three matches, I it might be bye-bye for him because we saw it at the end of this match, but that place was cleared out with with like, 10 minutes to go um which is very rare for especially in a one nil game i mean we're talking about a, a chunk of people gone yeah well that that kind of gives you a little bit of uh futuristic look at rangers and and it's still a little early to see what this new management with Celtic will bring. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're, I at least, coming into this league just a year or two ago, have, you know, Ange, you know, brought us to the cup, and I was, I was really sad to see him go. But I understand that that's kind of what happens here is success will take you to another club at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but yeah, so we just uh, look to the future with the Celtic and hopefully um, they'll be able to collect themselves and, and get the right players on. Really what it comes down to is starting lineups need to be correct and Mm -hmm. if uh oh needs to start in front of uh someone else or you know i'd like i haven't seen carter vickers a ton uh Mm -hmm. in these last two matches so not really sure what that injury there that one's injury injury. related yeah okay yeah but i agree i i think the league is going to sort itself out. I'm just definitely concerned about the champions league when we're playing, you know, Europe's elite. So that will actually start up here uh, soon. So um, just looking at the league table in Scotland, important to kind of make sure we know where we, where everything stands. So Celtic uh, currently tied for first um, on 10 points uh, first on goal difference, plus five there. Motherwell, 10 points, <laughs> tied for first. So that's an interesting one there. And then St. Mirren in third on eight points, then on six points, Rangers. So <laughs> a bit of a shakeup from from the usual uh, two up there. So we'll see how long that lasts. Probably not too terribly much longer. But again, Rangers... Uh, maybe not uh, in a position of strength at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we'll leave it there for this episode. If you don't have anything else uh, to say, but um, yeah, 
I do not. Okay. Basically, what is going to happen this weekend, uh, it's an international break for soccer, so it's it's going to be like international national team matches based off confederation. So the U.S. have two friendlies against uh, Asian giants Uzbekistan and Oman. <laughs> So uh, we'll see. I don't know how much value that's going to bring, um, but we'll see. Maybe that will be something we kind of discuss next time. Um, and then, of course, uh, we'll get you, get you previewed, hopefully, for uh, Singapore as well um, next time out. But for now, I think that's about all we've got. Yeah. So I guess we'll uh, get gone, as we say. All righty, let's do it. Four executive producers. Richard Tanaka. Phil Adkins. And Tony Licata. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We will see all of you loyal fans next time.